Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. One of the places I've never got to visit is a place uh, in, in all, all over the Pacific Northwest. I've been to Seattle. I've always wanted to go and just kind of drive around Oregon. And there's one specific spot in Oregon I want to go to. It's in Bend, Oregon. You may not know about it. It is the very last blockbuster in existence. There is one last blockbuster. You may not know this, that is hanging on for dear life, that has been taken over by a, a uh, you know, very passionate staff. Sandy Harding is the general manager. They have to cut their own membership cards uh, to, to give out to people. They still do that. And so it's, it's a matter of nostalgia. She's even recently turned it into an Airbnb so that you can rent out and have a good old style 80s, 90s slumber party in the Blockbuster like the old days where you rented movies and had a good time. I don't know about you, but I kind of would do that. That looks pretty fun right there. I'd be all over that. It is, you know, it's obviously not functionality, it's nostalgia. Nostalgia is the important word here because video rental stores are obviously no longer a viable need. At one time, there were 9,000 blockbuster stores and 50 million members. At one time, I had a $75 fine at Blockbuster. Anybody have one bigger than that? I sure did. But now, there's only this, this one. Because we stream our content from our home, from our phone. Netflix now has over 3,600 movies, 1,800 TV shows at a time at our disposal. Technology, convenience have reshaped the way the economy of our entertainment, the way we take things in, and they have placed in our hands seemingly just endless possibilities for entertainment, and therefore, we no longer need places like Blockbuster. But in this very last Blockbuster in Oregon, it's just this temple of memories of what it used to be like, the smells of walking in, smelling the popcorn, buying the boxes of candy, looking for the movie that you want to rent that is never there, and so you have to settle on something else. That, that memory of a time that once was that represents for us something simpler, an innocent time before. And the question, and I bring this all up today, my question for us is, is the same thing happening to the church? Is the same thing happening to the church in America? Because over the last 20 years, the number of people who have attended church, who are attending church on a regular basis, has been in steady decline. And in, actually in 2020, for the very first time, the majority of people in America did not regularly attend a religious service. Regularly attending a church service now is in the minority in America. And on top of that, you know, we've, we've been rocked by scandals and denominations. There's been celebrity pastors and leaders that have had moral failures. There's a large segment of our culture that increasingly knows us as essentially a political block and little more than that. And we have no reputation for love for neighbor. We mostly have reputation for our passion about the White House and Congress and things like that, all coming together in this one big seismic shift 
that I know some of us in this church, in this room, have been victims of, have felt very, very closely. And over the last several years, I've, I've had tons and tons and tons of these conversations, of frustrations, of wounds, of walking into places of healing. And I know a lot of our church has experienced that in some measure. And so I wanted to take a few weeks here and, and talk about for us, in the midst of this climate and process together, what this looks like, rightfully what we need to leave behind, and rediscover a way forward, a way forward that's always been here for us. I want, you to, I want to be clear this morning that we're not trying to be innovative. We're essentially trying to remember who we are. There's not some fancy new way of church I've come to sell you today. Listen, I have nothing to sell you. I have no grand, big, new idea of this is the innovative way of church in which it's going to change everything. No. If anything, we're trying to find something that's always been there. If anything, we're trying to uncover the baggage that is covered over the very thing that Jesus intended in the first place. And I want to tell you today, in the, in the coming weeks, why I am deeply, deeply, deeply hopeful for the church, for our church, and what that means for us and looking forward together. So that's where we're headed. And I want to pray before we get started, because I know in the midst of the baggage that we bring into a room like this and our misconceptions and our experiences, sometimes it's hard to see clearly. And so I want to pray for us in that as we move in. So Father, I, I, I know, I know, I know that you have compassion on us in those, those places of hurt and pain. But also we remember today, Lord, that in those places of pain, there is purpose. There are stories. There are, there's goodness that is giving birth to new life here, God. And so, Lord, I pray for the clarity of the Holy Spirit as we jump into the scriptures today, as we have a vision for a way forward as a church, as the church as a whole, and that together we would be galvanized around the mission that you have called us to, Jesus. Give us your grace to see that. Uh, silence the enemy's voice today. Let your voice be heard loudly and clearly and change us today, God. Speak and transform us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We're jumping in here to this passage. It says, when Jesus came... To the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Right there in verse 18, we have this theological foundation for where we need to start. In Jesus' words, first we need to understand the very obvious truth, and that is that the church belongs to Jesus. Make that clear. The church 
belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to any denomination. It does not belong to any celebrity pastor or leader or someone like me. The church is Jesus's church. Amen. Can we talk about that? Second and equally important, the church is Jesus's to build. Notice he says, I will build my church. There is not a single place in the Bible where you and I are given the responsibility to build the church. But Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus, right now, in ways you can see and in ways you cannot see, is actively and intentionally building his community, his family, in ways we will never understand. And finally, we see that in this that the church will not fail. And not for lack of trying. We'll find ways. But this is good news. Listen, we... We, we, we falter and we fail. Lots of things we build in our name with our ideas fail and falter. Lots of things that are associated with the church fail and falter. But the community, the community that Jesus has called out, this family that Jesus is building, it will not fail. The church cannot and will not fail because it belongs to Jesus and because Jesus is building his church. And he says that the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Now, we should take from this that the gates of hell will be coming after it. And boy, it has. But the gates of hell cannot stand against us. We should expect God's good work to be under attack. We are seeing this, and for this, daily we grieve. But the church that belongs to Jesus, the church that Jesus is building, will not fail. What do we mean by church? You see this in the Greek, this is a, not a particularly religious word. This word church only, actually, uh, it's only in the Gospels three times. In the Greek, it's this interesting word, ekklesia, meaning literally called out ones. It means a people who have come together around a particular message or mission that is bigger than themselves. In fact, in that time, it had political overtones. It wasn't just a crowd. It wasn't just a bunch of people that got together. It was an intentional gathering around a particular purpose that was bigger than the individuals themselves. They didn't gather to find or decide on a mission. No, there was a mission. There was a message, and that drew them in together. And by definition, then, there's a lot of churches out there today. It's a not, a, not a stretch whatsoever to say that our political parties are very much in and of themselves churches. They are messages and missions that gather people around themselves. There's lots of different churches. There can be, and I've heard of this, the church of Beyonce. The church of Beyonce. There is a mass that does all Beyonce songs. My wife would love that. The church that gathers around the message of mission saying that Beyonce is the best there is. There is the church of CrossFit. It gathers around a particular message and mission. It has that there and it comes around this. You may worship at the altar of the church of Kentucky Athletics. That is an idea, a message, a mission that does not need to come together to decide what it loves. It already loves, and out of that love and worship, buddy, they gather. 
Wherever there is a message and wherever there is a mission that calls people together into something bigger than themselves, by definition, you have a church. So I want to see this. I want to say this first and foremost today, that the church then, we need to understand, is the outcome of the mission and the message that it actually gathers around. In other words, it's the plate, it's not the meal. It is the frame, it's not the masterpiece. The church is never the point of the church. I'm going to say that again because it's so important for us. The church should not ever be the point of the church. The better question for us is, is what is this message and mission that's actually gathered us? What is it that has called us out of where we were, of who we were, to gather into something bigger than ourselves? It can be lesser messages or missions that plug the name of Jesus into them, but is it the message that Jesus actually preached? Because I think that's the only message big enough to form the church that Jesus is building. Remember when he starts his ministry, Jesus, in Mark 1, he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Remember, this word church only appears three times in the Gospels, but the word kingdom appears 119 times. It is overwhelmingly clear that Jesus' primary message was the kingdom of God. Clearly, Jesus was building a new kind of community, a new kind of family. He's constantly gathering people in together, but he's not talking about the church hardly at all. He's talking about the kingdom because I think Jesus trusts that the kingdom is a powerful enough message, a powerful enough mission that as people see the vision for his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it will be the natural process, the outcome that there becomes a church. This is our gospel. This is the announcement that we believe that's breaking into the world. And because of this, everything will never be the same. Jesus' kingdom language he's using here is intentional. Now, we're Americans. We don't use kingdom language a lot. So a kingdom, just to just a review here, a kingdom is wherever the will and purposes of the king are brought to bear. For instance, during the American Revolution, King George was not in the colonies. But because his kingship was his will, his reign was done in these colonies, it was his kingdom. He may not have been physically present, but because his reign was present, even without him, it was his kingdom. So when Jesus uses this idea of kingdom, he's announcing that the reign of God is breaking into the world as we know it, is bringing new life into the world as we know it. Something new is being born right in the middle of the old world world. He's giving us a message that's so, so much bigger than just go to heaven when you die by believing in me. This is so, so much bigger than this. There is a new kingdom arriving in the kingdoms of America and Mexico and North Korea, the whole world, a new kingdom that's breaking into the realities that we live in in the here and now. And meaning then, his life his death, his resurrection, his ascension is bringing about something new that every empire of the world is challenged by. He is bringing a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, in announcing this, is saying, I am king. And how do we respond to this? 
We respond, Jesus says, by repenting, literally meaning turning and living under a new kind of reign, a new kind of authority. And then he says, believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the king who has come and is making all things new. Now, let's pause. Let's zoom out right here. Because if this is true, if Jesus was raised from the dead, if Jesus' kingdom is coming to bear here in our reality, not in some future sweet by and by, but coming to bear on earth as it is in heaven, it would be crazy to not gather around that. It would be wild and outlandish to not have a church if Jesus is risen from the dead, right? If this stuff is true, we have no other idea other than to say, let's come together and let's get to work. It's the kind of gospel, the kind of mission that's actually worthy of coming and sitting in a room and gathering in our homes like this and singing and celebrating. It's the only message big enough. I need to ask you today, where you're at, do you believe that? Do you believe he's been risen from the dead? I'm not asking you today what you think about church. I'm not asking you what your favorite style is. I'm not asking you your opinion on how things should go in the future. I'm asking you, did Jesus raise from the dead and has his kingdom come to bear on earth as it is in heaven? Because if that is true, we're already at church. And there's already work to do. There's already a kingdom come to bear. So let's get to repenting. Let's get to believing. Maybe the crisis in the American church is not the way we do church. It's that we have settled for lesser gospels. We've settled for lesser missions. We've settled for things that don't even need a resurrected Jesus. They just need a mascot for our own opinions, our own initiatives. Maybe today is the day that we remember more than what happens in a church. We remember the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And as we remember the good news of the kingdom, we remember what it looks like to gather around the king. Because where there are people who are turning their lives and living under the reign of Jesus, where we have believed and responded to this mission together, you will always find a church. Not starting with the church, starting with the message and the mission of Jesus' kingdom. You see, the church is the outcome of the mission and not the mission itself. This is so freeing for me, and I hope it's freeing for you. Is that the focus has never been on how we build and grow a church. The focus needs to be on how we understand the mission of God, receive the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I promise you, if a room like this of people respond in the fullness of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing, we will have nothing to worry about with the church. It'll already be taking root. So what does that look like on the ground level when Jesus and his kingdom come to bear and we gather around this idea. Very simply, it's not our job to build the kingdom, but to bear witness to its arrival and its coming. It's not our job to do Jesus's job. It's our job to say this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God has arrived. 
It's our job as we come together as a family to say this, our community, our family is a gathering under the reign of Jesus. It's not a reign under the Democrats or the Republicans. It's not a reign under America or any other country or nation or leader. This is under the reign of Jesus. And you can see in our family, you can see in our community what the reign of Jesus looks like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. One of my favorite examples of this is a man by the name of Clarence Jordan. Clarence Jordan, when he graduated from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1938, Clarence and his wife, along with another couple, they had decided to do something radical in response to their faith. They returned home to southern Georgia, and they bought a 440-acre farm they called Koinonia Farm. This word koinonia, it's a Greek word that means intimate fellowship and community. But it wasn't just like purchasing a farm that was radical about it. It's, it's the way they did this. Remember, this is 1938. You see, Jordan and his friends, they made the farm a place that celebrated equity and equality of every single human being, embracing nonviolence, environmental stewardship, sharing possessions, and the most radical thing of all in southern Georgia, doing this equally together with African Americans. They had equal rights and fellowship and leadership in the community. And this is in the heights of Jim Crow. This is in the early stages of the civil rights movement. In, let me remind you, southern Georgia. You see, Clarence Jordan, he believed this radical idea, this witness of Jesus in the segregated South was the way that they did life together, the community that they formed together. Because he believed if Jesus was king, it demanded a different kind of church. And by saying it demanded a different kind of church, it demanded a different kind of life together. On their sign out front of Koinonia Farm from the very beginning, it said, this is a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. I don't know if you know what a demonstration plot is. In agriculture, it is a plot of land that is set apart to demonstrate a different way of growing or a different type of growth. They were set apart from the world, but they were, not, they were still living as a witness to the world, to the kingdom of God. Jordan, he, he shared this life together across the racial divide, and that was not popular. It drew boycotts, bombings, violence for decades. They would set up roadside stands to sell their produce, and they would be bombed by the Ku Klux Klan. Some African-American members eventually had to be taken away to New Jersey to get away from the murderous threats of the people around them, but they persisted. They persisted. They persisted because Jesus... Jesus is king. This lasted into the early 70s when Clarence Jordan died. And at that point, there was a cultural shift around them, not only socially, but in terms of agriculture as well. And so they decided to pray and to reimagine their mission together in the world. And when they looked around southern Georgia, what they saw immediately was a lack of affordable and fair housing. And so that began to shape and reshape their mission, which eventually gave way into a new organization maybe you've heard of before. They became Habitat for Humanity. This is, to me, my friends, a perfect picture of church. The church is a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. You see, when we're serving pregnant mothers in this room with baby showers and with gifts for pampering pathways, we're saying to the world, to them, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. 
when we're caring for this refugee family from Afghanistan who doesn't even share our faith by helping them get jobs and learn English and throw them birthday parties, we're saying this, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. When we are sharing meals around tables in the parks or in our homes and we're building friendships, we're welcoming others into community together, you and I, we're proclaiming this is what the kingdom of God looks like. We're bringing meals to the sick. We're praying for the hurting, caring for the poor and the poor in spirit. When we do that, we're saying this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And when we gather here today, when we sing songs the way we've been singing to remember our story, to remember that Jesus is king in the midst of a very violent and cynical world coming together as a witness to say this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This week I was having lunch with somebody that's new to our church and I was sharing about the kind of people that end up finding their way to restoration. Because if you stick around here, there's something about you. <laughs> I think that's clear. After five and a half years, some things that are in common with a lot of people have begun to emerge, especially after the pandemic. And what we've seen more than anything else is that people who show up here are enamored not with the way we do church. They're enamored with a mission. They're enamored with the idea that God is a restorer. That God is doing something bigger than just doing church on the weekends. This is why we proclaimed our mission that we believe that Jesus is restoring people who restore the world. And our mission, our mission is to join him. It's the mission of God's restoration that God is already at work around us. Already doing his kingdom work. And our aim our vision is to just join him in what he is already doing. I was reminded this week by a pastor of another church. We were talking and sharing together, and she just said, I wanted to remind you how much from the outside looking in, I see God building and sustaining and growing restoration, and it's an encouragement to me. God is building his church. And much has been made as we come to a close here. Much has been made about the decline of the church in America. And I could get up here and give a sermon and bellyache about how bad it is all day long, and we could get a lot of amens and walk out of here just as cynical as we were before. I'd be good at it. And yet if we step back and we see what we're doing through the lens of the kingdom, if we step back and see it through the lens of Jesus as king, it might give us a clue to why the world and the church is living in this way. I, I recently heard a pastor say this, and this statement has stuck with me. He's speaking about young people, but I think this goes for those of us who are sort of young as well. He said, young people who grew up in the church are leaving it because of a crisis of mission that feels like a crisis of faith. And what he goes on to explain is that they feel this urge, this calling because of the scriptures they read, that they want to get out and love their neighbor. They want to build community and family. They want to do the stuff. And when they don't see that happening, when they only see a room like this that sings and goes home and gets about our everyday American lives, they are not challenged by that. They feel like it's a crisis of faith, but in reality, it's a crisis. They're called to the mission that Jesus has already given us, but they're not seeing it in the church. It's what happens when church becomes the point of church. When church starts being the focus. When we start competing with other churches. 
when we start being more concerned with our clout and our agendas. And I know today I'd be willing to bet that some of you feel that same ache. Maybe a crisis of faith that you have felt is a crisis of wanting the mission that Jesus called us to in the first place and longing to get back to this. And here's what I know. I know today this is true. Jesus is risen. Jesus is king. His kingdom has come, has arrived on earth as it is in heaven. It is still arriving, and one day it will come in its fullness when he comes and reigns forever. I believe this is true. If you believe that, we have work to do. And that mission, that longing, that feeling is what makes a church. And so, Jesus, I pray this morning, first a prayer of repentance for when we have made church about us when we have made it about the measurements of success we see in the world around us. Lord, we repent of the way that we have fallen into the patterns of this world. May you call us out of these ways as individuals and as a community. Lord, I am comforted and excited that we know this morning that you, you're building restoration. Your church, the Big C Church, that meets in strip malls and huge buildings and small huts, underground communities and apartment complexes hiding from the police, that church will not fail. And so for the part you have us playing here as restoration in this city, in our neighborhoods, May you empower us for this today. Would you remind us afresh of this gospel and this mission that you have given us. And may together we demonstrate this kingdom unto the world, to our city, say this is what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven. Commission us for that today. taking communion together. We have some on that table in the back right there in the lobby, some up front as well. We'd love for you to participate in this as Hannah leads us. Just encourage you, uh, if whatever the Lord's speaking and doing in this time to respond to him, we'll have folks in the back to pray for you. We'd love to do that. Um, and if there's anything just going on in your world, maybe not even having to do with sermon or anything like that, we would love to pray with you and get you connected to what the Lord's doing. So let's worship.